1: and their essential love
0: of justice.
1: Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for April 1st, 2018. Happy Easter, everyone. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, Catherine Smith.
2: Greetings from Atlanta, and of course, happy April Fool's Day as well. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that many
1: people are worried about April Fool pranks on Easter. I guess that seems kind of sacrilegious in some way. I had not seen a lot of April Fool's Day pranks this year and I I guess there's a correlation. And welcome Tim Shipley.
3: Good evening sir.
1: Yes. Well we're excited about the show tonight. Um, Got a brand new exciting guest. First time on the Kudzu Vine. Stuart Stevens is going to be on the show um, to discuss A book he wrote in the past few years called The Last Season. I just finished reading it. But we're also going to talk some politics because you may have heard of him. He was the chief strategist for the Mitt Romney campaign back in 2012. And he still um, frequently thinks and and speaks about politics even today. And so we're going to have him on the show to um, discuss the book, discuss his bio, and discuss um, some political happenings. And so that's going to be um, pretty exciting and But until that time, let's kind of talk about some topics. And, you know, Easter or April Fool's Day, neither one are really big uh, gift-giving holidays, but there is a company that's really big on gift-giving uh, type things, and that's Amazon, and probably the largest or fastest-growing company in the world, if I'm not mistaken, um, the, the way their revenue goes up. And Donald Trump picked... Uh, This week to pick a fight with them um, And they didn't really Seem to do anything That would have caused him to You know start tweeting about him But you know having a calls Or or, provocation is not Always something really important to Donald Trump
2: Um, Catherine Why do you think he did this? I'm sure it's a distraction From all the other Brouhaha with Stormy Daniels and all the firings i think or and and resignations i think it's just a distraction i mean he's been um unhappy with jeff bezos and amazon for a long time so it's not it's not new it's just that he brought it back up again this week
1: yeah um and he, it wasn't just one thing he kept on with it so it seemed to be some kind of um uh Something he was on his mind for some reason. I guess Fox may have Fox News may have done a special on him or something uh, because I don't watch enough Fox News or really any to know. Um, but I, I'm not sure what caused it. Costs. Tim, any ideas?
3: Well, he, he, it's Trump hating Amazon is not really a surprise since he has often in the past tweeted about how much he dislikes. I mean, And Catherine hit on the main reason why it's Jeff Bezos, uh, who owns the Washington Post. Now, never mind that those are two different businesses, and Amazon has not one thing to do with the Washington Post, but in Donald Trump's uh, world, uh, they do. And uh, some of his tweets... Obviously, lately, especially the, the latest ones, as I'm sure we'll get into here, ha- have gone off the rails and uh, into the world of uh, fanciful land, shall we say. It's uh, it, <laughs> bunch a bunch of
1: nonsense. It... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess there's several things to talk about. First, the, the Washington Post part of this. I just get the idea. Jeff Be- Bezos makes so much money. He's got to have something to spend it on and somebody advised him to buy a paper. Um, I just don't think Jeff Bezos is sitting in the office uh, like a Catherine Graham or Ben Bradley would have in the past and and picked out stories and and all of that. I think the Washington Post probably functions fairly independently of Jeff Bezos on a day-to-day basis. So to me, that's a pretty weak tie. Uh, Tim, do you have other knowledge of how hands-on he is? Uh, no, I, I don't think he's
3: really hands-on at all. He has a managing staff that takes care of that newspaper, and and you never see him connected with it in any way other than the fact that he owns the thing. Uh, as far as editorial uh, content and what the paper chooses to treat as news stories and all of that, They have a staff that runs the paper, and and he is not a real hands-on-top owner as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah, I mean, Catherine, it just doesn't seem like Jeff Bezos had this um, political leaning is why he got the Washington
2: Post. Why does Trump
1: assume
2: otherwise? Well, I think it might indicate how he was when he had – I mean – certainly he had a number of different businesses when he was before, well, he still does, but before he became president. So perhaps this is indicative of the way he was when he was uh, running his businesses, that he did, you know, have his fingers in all the pies and was, you know, involved in all of it and did sometimes cross the line and influence things when he shouldn't have. So this might be a, good indicator of how he ran a business not so much how other people do
1: yes uh and so uh speaking of publications we, i didn't even know there was a trump magazine but we learned that last week so i don't even know what the if there was a political angle to that um publication uh, like i said I, I wasn't even aware of it until 60 minutes last week well let's kind of talk about another part of this um, and that would be, I think, one reason he may not like Amazon, is because he's all into brick and mortar as a real estate person, and Amazon is changing the way shopping's done. We can see some negatives because you know maybe it doesn't hire employees all across the country the same way, but it's just the way things are going to go. If Amazon doesn't do it, Target, Walmart, or some other entity that uh, would have existed instead of Amazon, we're going to feel that because. That's just the way um, commerce is going. It's getting more electronic, delivered to your house. um, And and Trump not liking it's not going to change that brick and mortar. um, is just not going to be a huge growth industry uh, moving forward as far as retail shopping. Tim, do you think that could be part of it, the real estate side of him coming out?
3: Well, he said that uh, one of the reasons he didn't like Amazon is that they're, quote, putting many thousands of retailers out of business. That's utter nonsense. Uh, Small companies, first of all, use Amazon to sell their products for crying out loud. A lot of them do. Uh, Walmart, for instance, has played a much larger role in uh, the loss of these brick and mortar uh, companies, especially a lot of the, the smaller ones, because they are such a, a a major business, they just scoop up all the oxygen in the room. Uh, the The proliferation of malls in recent years, as we know, has just wiped out downtown business and stuff like that all over the country. Donald Trump is living in the 1960s with some yeah. of these ideas he's got. That's why – Talks about going back to coal and so I mean stuff that isn't gonna happen again. And what he's saying right now is not gonna happen again. Amazon is is a is a convenient uh, boogeyman anyway because of him not liking Bezos. But I tell you all these attacks have caused an Amazon stock to fall 3%, and this is the fourth most valuable company in the world we're talking about. When that happens on the stock market, well, that's part of what's happened uh, to stocks in, in, in the last, uh, what, two months when when the market's taken a real big hit. Uh, some of that is him running his mouth about things like this, that he knows nothing about it. It's, it's just nonsense that they're doing that, <laughs> you know, Jeez.
1: Yeah. It, 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 some of his friends uh, might want to invest in Amazon stock because probably that 3% will come back and, and maybe more um, in, in talking about Amazon. If they weren't um, doing what they were, I, I would predict that Walmart would probably get more of that business and no matter what you think of Walmart, monopolies, I don't think anybody thinks they're a great idea because then they have um, unfettered control of the market prices, and that's not really good for much anybody other than the owners of that monopoly. Um, Well, let's kind of talk about another (coughs) angle, and this is a really political angle all this. We've talked many times to multiple guests about the second headquarters and all these government entities, be it the city, states, Um, In some cases, even regions, because I think Northern Virginia and D.C. and probably Southern Maryland are kind of working together on a bid that's seen as, I guess, one of the top contenders. Um, Do y'all think that uh, the way Donald Trump's going after Amazon, could some states that were looking at this uh, headquarters, because it's maybe become vilified by the right and some of the base Trump supporters – could some politicians back off their um, support of trying to bring the Amazon headquarters to their city or state because they don't want to anger the base and could it become <laughs> a political <laughs> issue?
2: Catherine? I think so. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, just don't, I don't see that. I do wonder if all this talk about the headquarters is what got this on uh, the president's radar you know, because it's been in the news a lot, whether it's in, whether it's Northern Virginia or Atlanta or Boulder or or Denver or Boston or wherever. Um, But I don't think, I mean, I certainly don't think in Georgia they would, I mean, there's a few um, outliers on the right who are saying, well, you know, we don't really need Amazon. We get all these jobs anyway. But I think that in general uh, most, cities are going to most cities that are in the in these uh in the throes of working with amazon and putting bids in are not going to be swayed by the president's tweets i think they want those jobs they want that business they want that um you know cachet of getting the amazon second headquarters that's my sense tim what do you think
3: well, i tell you, in Georgia, there is no way that uh, they would start talking Amazon when they're talking, what, tens of thousands of jobs, billions of dollars pouring into the state. This is like, I don't know, if a, if states were buying lottery tickets, I mean, you get the Amazon headquarters, it's like winning the lottery. If, if you're a state government, it, it would have to be no Trump or not. Uh, Republicans uh, in this state will do what they've been trying to do, which is walk a nice little tightrope, uh, say they support Trump on one hand, but not necessarily.
1: All he says because it's
3: what? Locker room talk, David? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't
1: know about locker room talk, but I mean, okay, let's (laughs) just take Georgia, for instance. Um, And you have a... Open field of candidates, and you have a Casey Cagle, the establishment candidate on the Republican side. Um, he, he's probably trying to recruit businesses. Um, they, you know, QBE was fully funded for the first time in years, and people think that's because of the Amazon bid. Hey, great! I, as a teacher, I'll take that every day that they're fully funding QBE for the first time in so long. Um, but then, if Casey Cagle, is there some? also ran type candidate like Michael Williams, who, you know, really wants to be seen as the Trump candidate, could he begin to criticize Casey Cagle for, you know, selling out our values just for Amazon and, and their uh, Seattle Washington way oh, and their Washington it. Post way. I mean, does a candidate like that try it? Now when they try it, how does the base react? Does he then go from 3% in the polls to 13% in the polls and cause all their sphincters to tighten? And it becomes this real thing on the Republican side. I mean, that seems to be how this party reacts. Um, Catherine?
2: Bring it on. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see them get into a, you know, pissing, pardon my French, pissing match about um, Amazon in the primary. I let them go into a runoff give us more time fine
1: well i mean but but that's the I don't thing. think it'll be if, successful if, i don't think
2: i don't think it's going to it's going to be successful but if that's what if that's how they want to spend their time during the primary and fight amongst themselves well, about whether amazon is a good idea
1: well then they could I'm screw fine with the that. whole playing up state, and i mentioned georgia cuz georgia has a primary battle i don't think a greg abbott like they're looking at i think Dallas, I want to say. It could be Houston, um, but I think it's Dallas they're looking at. Greg Abbott is incumbent. I don't know. that. I think they already had their primary. No, I think it's so, Austin. You know, I think it's Austin. Yeah, Austin. So, it's somewhere, so Texas, while Texas has a lot of the same political demographics, Georgia, it, there's just not – the the uh, wedge can't be created by a primary, so Georgia's just a really good example. It's not just that we live here. Um, I could see them carrying on and then screwing this whole thing up because – you think well, the Republicans—they're not so stupid or narrow-minded to get into this. And how many times do they get into this? I mean, look at what North Carolina did to their state with the bathroom bill. I mean, they caused their state to lose a NBA All-Star game. Now, obviously, this is a lot bigger, but that's yep, how but, petty Republican but, 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 politicians but, but, can be,
3: Tim. But 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 you 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 know you know what they can do though, David is what they've been doing. And and that's when they're confronted with these things that that Trump you know pulls out of the the rabbit's hat or what what not. They can always say, well, I I, I support the president, but I don't necessarily agree with everything he says. Right. I mean, the man is a man of strong opinions and right. blah blah blah, and then they'll will too another subject like the economy and this and that and the other and and go on. So I I don't think that it would be even uh, like comparing it to the bathroom bill in North Carolina because he's actually attacking Amazon. And it's a thing between the president and Amazon and not one of the top Georgia politicians and Amazon. And and, uh, one of those guys that are way down down the list in the governor's Race you know there's what seven of Them running uh, they, they they might try something like That to you know uh, Get into the top tier Of candidates but I, I, I don't think it, It's, it's going to work uh, Very much I think there Are two really strong establishment Candidates on the Republican side maybe three And uh, all the Establishment people are going to vote in the Primaries and I, I just don't see how how Williams or somebody could uh, slip into that mix by taking this. Do you think they could, David?
1: I do. I think the Republican Party is a very self-destructive force at times, and I'm talking about their base. Um, I, I just think that they, uh, some of the cooler heads that want to prevail, uh, their base can get cajoled by these Tea Party elements. And now this Trump element, and they'll follow, you know, these crazy lines of thinking. And this guy does have the bully pulpit. He has the the Twitter account um, that they all hear about and they follow. Um, When something goes on, the media sources in particular, they follow like Fox News. I mean, they get such a slanted view. We're working from a different reality, almost a different set of facts than they are when we talk about things in a lot of this space, and, and so I Trump, think they can be persuaded. Hmm.
3: Trump has another problem, though, here, David. Amazon isn't saying a word to him. Not a word. Uh, Trump, when Trump tries to have one of these fights, he needs a back and forth. He needs an enemy that will stand up and engage him. And Amazon is just saying nothing. They're offering no comments and just letting him talk. Uh, I wonder if he yeah. might talk himself out.
2: Yeah, that's what I think. What? He won't get the if he doesn't get the kind of response he wants, he'll just go on to something else. He'll be you know, who knows who's next? He'll be attacking somebody.
1: Well, and we may get into who's next on something else in a second. But now, uh, looking at uh, another facet of this, have y'all heard any numbers on if Amazon purchases have dropped? In the last five days in any way, uh, we talked about a stock huh. price, but if conservatives decided not to use Amazon like they might have no. otherwise, or is this not – a fa- or is it because this is such an internet-based business, prime memberships, all this different stuff is such new world technologies that the the profile of an Amazon user is much more likely to be younger and more democratic than – the average Republican, because I mean, there are some real cultural divides in ways we don't think about, like how you shop. Um, maybe more of a cultural touchstone than we realize, and it's not one like a conscious choice; it's just embracing of new technologies. Catherine, have you seen any numbers?
2: I haven't seen any numbers, but I just don't think. Um, I mean, I will say that I make a lot of my decisions about what I buy based on politics. I do it all the time. I pick, you know, I don't buy from certain companies. I always buy from other companies. I'm very, um, conscientious about that. I always have that. I was raised that way, but I don't think most people do. I don't think most people like they need something that Amazon has and they have the best price. They're going to order it. They're going to get it tomorrow and they're going to be happy. I think that's the way most people are. If they're already buying yeah. it on Amazon, I mean, it's, it's pretty, um, It's pretty. Um, what's the word, uh, enticing, right? I was just talking to somebody today. They were like, oh, I didn't know that this company made this light bulb. I need to go to Home Depot. I said, just go to Amazon. And he goes, oh, yeah, that will be easier and probably cheaper. So, I, think, I, I mean, I just don't think that people, I'm not saying nobody, but I, I think there's a lot of people that really don't. The politics and, and um, this cultural stuff doesn't really play into their purchasing power. They're looking for a good price and fast delivery.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you're right that politics uh, decide a tremendous amount of people's uh, purchasing. Well, now I want to bring on to our guest at this time. Welcome to the Kudzu by Mr. Stuart
0: Stevens. Hey, buddy. Thank you. Honored to be here.
1: All right, good to have you. Um, I, before I get into the questions, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be thrown off, because like I told you we were booking this, I just listened to um, your book, The Last Season, on audio. So I'm expecting the guy that read the book to talking to me.
0: Tell me he, from uh, your perspective. He, he, he is a great talent, isn't he? Um, he he's yeah. also a musician and songwriter, um, just a terrific talent. Um We're lucky to get him to read the book, because I'm a huge Audible uh, fan. I I listen to books all the damn time.
1: Oh, yeah, my my favorite. It's the only way I can read now, I'm so busy, uh, that to actually
0: get a book, I
1: listen to it, um, because I I do a myriad of things. Um, Well, let me go ahead and back up, and for those of our listeners that don't know exactly a lot about your background, kind of tell us about yourself.
0: Oh, um, I grew up in Jackson, um, actually a seventh-generation Mississippian, I figured out once. Um, went to Murrah High School, um, then went away to college. Um, and I've kind of tried to balance in my life a career working in politics uh, on the Republican side, uh, for the most part, uh, and around the the world in different places and writing I write books and I write some for television and used to write a lot of articles. I don't do that as much, but I still do it a little bit
1: yeah well um well let's keep a book that I recently read or listened to I know that you've even written one or two since then, but it was the last season and I could tell the listeners what it's about, but that seems wrong when the author of the book is here so Kind of give our listeners just a, a thumbnail view of it.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, um, the last season is a book uh, I wrote after uh, working on the Romney campaign. Um, we lost, by the way. Um, and <laughs> I uh, had turned 60, and my dad had turned 95. And I've found I've worked on winning presidential campaigns. I've worked on losing And losing, uh, in my experience, makes you a lot more introspective and uh, sort of asking uh, what it is you're doing with your life. Um, And when I had grown up in Jackson, I'd been one of those fortunate guys to sort of find something, my dad and I, that we both really enjoyed doing together, and that was going to college football games, particularly Ole Miss games. My dad had gone to Ole Miss, my mom had gone to Ole Miss, my grandfather had gone to Ole Miss. I didn't, but... um, at that time, when I was growing up, Jackson, uh, Ole Miss played a lot of games in Jackson at Memorial Stadium. And we would go to those games and go up to Oxford and go around to some of the classics like up in Arkansas or at Tiger Stadium in LSU. So um, I decided uh, that we'd spend the fall of 2013 uh, with my dad and my mom uh, going around to all of the Ole Miss games and we went uh we went to every game except the Texas game uh that year and we told ourselves that we Texas was too far to drive but really it's because we thought we'd lose and it's like <laughs> a long way to a long way to drive back after a loss but you know they they actually won it was a great game we were like kicking ourselves and we didn't go um and i wrote uh a book about it uh called the last season which really used that season of Ole Miss games as a framework to write about uh, fathers and sons and growing up in the South. Um, and to a certain degree, it's sort of a meditation on loss um, in in many ways because, you know, I was very cognizant. My dad was 95. Um, he died uh, last December a year ago, just a couple of weeks shy of his 99th birthday, which is You know, pretty great run there. Um, So in many ways, it was a very personal book, different than the other books I'd written, Um, and a hard book for me to write, to be honest. Um, But I'm I'm really glad I I gave it a shot.
1: I'm glad you read it. It It's such a a meaningful thing, and I think it's one of those books that could Bridge the political divide I'm a Democrat I understood exactly what you're writing You know, fathers and sons uh, My father used to take me to pro wrestling all the time Now my son and my daughter uh, They don't care about pro wrestling I can take them to football, basketball, soccer And I'm hoping that I have that same kind of bond You did with your father for many years uh, Down the it's road a great, it,
0: um, You know, I think it's a great thing when When parents and kids Can find something that they do Where you don't talk about anything, but you sort of talk about everything and not talking about anything. And I think that's a, it's a really special thing. Whatever it is, it could be anything from, you know, uh, going to museums together to uh, going hunting together. Yes.
1: Well, um, kind of uh, when you got into this, it seems like you picked out the journey for the journey, not the book. Did you have the book in the back of your mind, or is that something you kind of thought about I, as I did did. Going
0: I did have the book in the back of my mind. I wasn't really sure it would work. for um, one thing, you know, I wasn't sure my dad would really be up for the the whole season. Um, you know, he was lucky enough to have really good health uh, right up until the end of his life. But still, um, going to all those games, it's a lot of moving around. Um, so uh, I didn't commit to doing the book until uh, we were almost due at the season. Um and then i talked to um my publisher Knopf, about it and th- they were like hey let's do this um but i would have done it uh obviously with, with without uh a commitment to write it or knowing i would write about it just for the experience itself um, you know i've written books about uh long uh, sort of quirky uh journeys where I did them because I wanted to do them, but I also did them knowing I would write about them. This was different. I didn't go into this knowing for sure that I would write about it.
1: Yes. Well, um, j- just kind of to talk some elements of the book, uh, I know everybody thinks probably wherever their team plays, wherever they tailgate, it's the greatest. But the Grove I've heard about before your book, where it's on the old Miss campus, kind of describe what makes that different and special from every other well, tailgate
0: experience. you know um, – the Grove is in that uh, special area right in the center of Ole Miss. Um, and now uh, it's just this tremendous sort of celebration of, I think, as much about family and getting together as it is about football. Um, it's sort of an excuse uh, for a gathering of the clan, in the same way a lot of holidays are excuses about getting together um, more, more than anything else. Um, But the history of the Grove I find particularly fascinating and telling in in a Mississippi and really American history sense. I mean, it was at the Grove where uh, the 1st Mississippi Regiment of students mustered out um, to to go into the Civil War. Um, And, of course, the Grove is where, in 1962, uh, arguably the last battle of the Civil War was fought. Um, over the integration of Ole Miss with James Meredith when they had that terrible riot in which two people were killed. Um, And I find it uh, very uh, moving, to be honest, uh, that that wasn't that long ago, 1962, really. Um, And now, uh, for all the home games, the bus pulls up and... uh, Those kids get off the bus, and the team looks a lot more like Mississippi than it did in 1962 when it was all white. Um, And they walk through the Grove uh, down what is sort of aspirationally called the Walk of Champions. Um, It's been a while since Ole Miss uh, won a national championship, actually. 1962 was the last year. Um, And walk uh, past the Confederate War Memorial to the stadium. And it's a fascinating bit, I think, of cultural history. And um, I am really interested in how uh, sports, particularly college football, intersected with civil rights in Mississippi, in the South, totally, across the South, and across the country. But really, in the South, it was most obvious. Um, and I think that that sports changed uh, the history of civil rights, and the history of civil rights changed sports. Um, and, you know, for many people, it was f- the first time that blacks and whites really cheered for each other in a minute. And, and uh, I think it's been a powerful unifying force in our culture.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Over in Alabama, they say that Sam Cunningham integrated Alabama uh, better than anybody in the state government ever did.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a there's a I just got to give a shout out. There's a wonderful book called Rising Tide, um, about Joe Namath and Bear Bryant and what how what Namath meant to Alabama, Um, and uh, the book gets into this fascinating story of how Namath, who came from this integrated steel town in Pennsylvania. He quietly made it uncool, and he was the coolest guy on campus, uh, to be overtly racist. And they tell the story how Namath had a picture from his high school prom um, of himself with some friends, and one of them was uh, a black female high school student. And so it sort of got around that, like, you know, Joe had this black girlfriend in high school. And it wasn't true. She was actually just a friend of his. But, it, you know, they posit that... Uh, It had a great influence on sort of the cultural uh, feeling within the campus, um, and the way that Namus was a great influencer in that campus. And I I think that's absolutely. And of course, with Cunningham and and, and Alabama recruiting uh, black football players, um, it, it had a profound effect.
1: Yes, well, I had two political questions about the book. Speaking about inspiration, in the book, it, because a lot of times you flash back to the 60s when you right. were younger, and you talked about William Winter, who um, was ended, ended up later becoming governor. This time he was just running, and um, you said he didn't win uh, for governor of Mississippi. was very pro-integration, I mean not really a moderate, really a liberal at that time. He was an inspiration, you said, for you getting into politics, but then you ended up becoming a Republican consultant. How did that journey go from— to the well,
0: left you know, of the Democratic Party at that time to Republican. Well, you know, when Winter ran for governor the first time, which is 1967, um, and there's a wonderful documentary film about this uh, called The Toughest Job, which is ostensibly about Winter getting education reform passed once he became governor. But, <laughs> excuse me, really it's about William Winter and his, his story. Um, but then pretty much everybody was, were, were Democrats. So Wener ran against the Democrat establishment. Uh, John Bell Williams was the last avowed segregationist to run and win in Mississippi. Um, but at the time, uh, the Democratic Party, for the most part, um, was a sort of old-line Southern um, pro-segregation party. Um, with some notable exceptions. And, of course, the 1964 uh, presidential uh, convention of the Democrats, they had that fight over which delegation to seat, whether or not it was going to be the Democratic Party or the Freedom Democratic Party from Mississippi. So that fight was sort of breaking out. But when I was coming up, uh, I was drawn uh, to William Winner and then to Thad Cochran, who... Uh, ran as a young Jackson lawyer, and really ran against the Democratic establishment, too, when he first ran for Congress. Um, And to me, in that sense that you're always drawn sort of to underdogs and you don't want to be uh, like the power structure, that sort of instinct that so many of us have, it was a natural thing uh, to be for the Republican side Um, because it was like, why would you want to be for Eastland or uh, even Stennis? I think Stennis was a lot better on these issues than Eastland, but it was sort of, unless you wanted to be like a county clerk in Tishominga County, I mean, why would you be for who was in power already? Um, and so that's how I ended up um, working on the Republican side. And, you know, the truth of the matter is that in in the political consulting world, it's very difficult to work both sides of the street, because n- neither side ends up trusting you. Um, so that's how I became a, a Republican consultant and worked, worked for George Bush uh, in 2000, um, really started in 1999. I wrote a book about that campaign called A Big Enchilada. Um, but I'm definitely not a Trump guy and have been very vocal about that.
1: Yeah, and I think Catherine and Tim will get into that kind of line of questions a little bit later. One more question, just a funny anecdote in your book. you you took Mitt Romney down to Asheville or somewhere near where your parents were living in North Carolina. And there was going to be a motorcade. And you said the first thing you had to do was go check your mama's car and make sure she didn't have the Obama-Biden 2008 sticker still on the car. Uh, So I take it at least your mother was an Obama supporter in
0: 2008? Oh, yeah. I think both my parents supported Obama in 2008. Um, And... uh, You know, my parents were uh, very progressive on race, Um, and it was a real hallmark of sort of great influence on me. I have an uncle, my father's brother, um, uh, who who is no longer with us, who became a um, full-time civil rights lawyer and then law professor at Antioch Law School. Um, So... um, that, that had always been a very important value in our family. My grandmother uh, was involved in uh, civil rights on my father's side, um, so it, it made sense that they would they would be supporting Obama. I, I supported uh, Governor Romney in that race and worked for him, um, but I was never uh, anyone. I, I never was angry about. Uh, President Obama, and I have tremendous, tremendous respect. I had some policy disagreements with him, um, but I have tremendous respect and always did for him as a person. Um, and I think he, he really conducted the office of presidency with great dignity and, and presence that is to be greatly admired. Well, and,
1: and I think that came through when John McCain ran. He, you could tell he was running because of differences in opinion, not because of, oh, well, this is a white office by any means. I mean, I think the party standard bearer did better than a lot of the supporters uh, about that. Well, I could continue to ask you questions about the book and how it touches on sports and politics, but I'm going to be fair to Catherine and Tim, and I'm going to okay. hush down. I'm going to pass it over to her and do the guys more political things. Catherine?
2: Thank you so much for being on tonight. Um, hey, Catherine. It's been a really interesting conversation listening. I'm not a big sports fan, but I did grow up in a college town, and I'm like a long-time, uh, like fifth generation. And I can totally understand a lot of what you were talking about. So I'm I'm anxious. I'm trying to listen to your book, though. I'm not a big football fan, so I'm, I'm not sure how, how far I'll get. You know, one so, of the fun.
0: one of the things my editor, Kanoff, kept saying was, like, less football, Stuart. That's okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to write about the game. my I don't know how to break it to you, but not that many people will care. You know? so, in the original draft of this book, it was like, you know, play by play of a whole season. He's like, dude, you no, know, people, people are just gonna get bored out of their minds.
2: More about the conversations with your parents, less about the football game. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I want, I wanted, I, I just wanted to. Um, ask you about um, about Mississippi politics. Actually, I know everybody's mm-hmm. anxious to talk about Mitt Romney, but I, I'm curious. I work for an organization that uh, works in Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, so I'm very um, conscious of the legislature and what's going on there. And do you still follow? You know, politics? I really,
0: I I really don't follow the Mississippi oh, okay. legislature. Um, I I worked for Haley uh, and did his races. Um, but I haven't since then. I haven't, uh, and I never really, to be honest, uh, I never really followed the legislature that closely when Haley was governor. Um okay. you know I've always been, uh, admittedly, uh, a campaign guy more than a governing guy. <laughs> um, and well, that's some,
2: important to make. It's important to make
0: that I I, I think it is important. You know, and there's some people that do it well. Uh, I think David Axelrod did both well. But I, I don't think I'd ever be good at it. You know, I was more about, like, the taking of Baghdad than the running of Baghdad. Um, it was just more fun to me, more I like the fight. I like the winning and losing. Um, and I never wanted to, as we say, go inside, which means go to work for a client that you've helped uh, elect. Um, and I, I think that there are people who are really very good at that, who probably aren't good at campaigns. And it's, <laughs> And I just never... It's just not, um, it's, it's not been something that I felt I, I would be good. But So I haven't followed the Mississippi legislature that closely. Okay,
2: well, then I'll ask, you about, I'll ask you about Utah. So are you working with, um, what do we call them now? Sen- I guess we we'll still call them Senator or Governor Romney? Governor, I guess.
0: Oh, um, y- y- yes. Uh, I'm helping them out in the, in the Utah race. Um, it's hard to say how much of a race it's going to be. Um, and really, he has a, as he should, a, a Utah-centric team. Um, but I really, I really love Mitt and Ann Romney, as does pretty much everybody. Uh, politics aside, who knows them and has worked with them, um, and,
2: uh, well, I just have to say, I'm I'm originally from Michigan and grew up with Mitt Romney as, uh, with,
0: um, his dad whatever, George,
2: his dad George Romney as. Governor and I grew up in a Very democratic family So much so that we didn't even shop At stores that were owned by Republicans <laughs> But <I love> that. <laughs> But my mother always Admired him like she felt like Even later when like Mitt Romney was running for president Even though she was never going To vote for him I don't think she ever voted for a Republican in her life but um, But she She talked about how she felt like George Romney was a really good governor for Michigan and always respected him. So I think that there's a lot of um, respect for that family.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, one of the interesting things about Mitt is that whoever's worked with him at different stages of his life, um, you know, going back to law school days, uh, has, I think, found it a positive experience. Um you know, when he did the Olympics, everybody talks about how fantastic experience that was. Um, when he was working for Bain, uh, you know, most of those people are Democrats. They're, they're Massachusetts Democrats. Um, and they could care less about the politics of it. They just like Mitt. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a quality that he has. Uh, you know, he's a very—I I think— self-aware person he realizes he's one of life's lucky people on multiple levels he had wonderful parents he's found a life partner that has been very um a a very good match uh and and they've been through a lot of ups and downs together and they have kids and i I think he just realizes how fortunate he is and he's a very positive warm person that, that people are just drawn to and you know the they do so much that they never publicize, um, involved in charities. I mean, when they were in Boston, they gave to all these charities, but you'd never see their name on anything, and that's just – they strongly believe that you should do this work for the sake of the work, not for attention you might get for having done the work. they just wonderful I have people. a lot
2: of respect for that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very deeply held uh, conviction with them, Um
2: I do have and, a question about Utah. Yeah. So yes. there's this, this new um, decision by the courts about the Republican Party. Is that going to have any impact on him?
0: It's incredibly confusing. The, the question here I is uh, the nominating process of the party. And so should the party, in the past they have nominated just through a convention, Um which other states do as well. Virginia does that. Um, Some states have a uh, process like Massachusetts where if you get a certain percentage at the convention, you're automatically on the ballot, but you can petition your way onto the ballot. So um, I'm not sure exactly when, but I think uh, four years ago, uh, Utah shifted to a dual system. You can either get on the ballot by getting a certain percentage at the convention, or you can get uh, petition your way onto the ballot. It's actually a lot of signatures It's uh, for a smaller state. I think it's 29,000. Um, and then you can get on the ballot. So there is a uh, fight over this, and sort of both sides would go, uh, the arguments would be if if you're just for the convention, your argument is that state parties should be able to pick however they want to nominate people because they're they're no, nothing different than like a bowling club. There's just a voluntary association of people. And the other argument would be it's about democracy and that more people should be able to participate and that they should have primaries. So now they have this dual system that probably is going to continue based on uh, the court rulings. I'm, okay. for the, I'm for i'm so, for uh, i'm for the larger i'm for i'm for primaries i'm for more people getting involved uh versus convention just generally to sort of generically um, but i'm i'm for more people being involved uh in all levels of the political system regardless of ideology or i um, I'm even fond of the Australian system of being mandatory to vote and you get fined if you don't vote though I know it'll never happen in the u s
2: <laughs> well, thank you very much. I, I'm going to pass it back to him to for his question. No, good thank to you so talk much for him. being on. Really interesting.
3: Oh, good evening, Mr. Stevens. Thank you for being on with us tonight. And oh, I've got. Thank you. Call really, call me
0: Stewart, please.
3: I'll do it. But I got to ask you the really important question first. Did I read that you actually skied a hundred miles to the North Pole?
0: A hundred kilometers, which is a big distinction, believe me. Um, I was writing an article for Outside Magazine about this phenomenal Norwegian. um, I guess you can't call anybody an explorer anymore because everything's been explored, but an adventurer who specializes in these long, unsupported trips across the ice. Um, Mm -hmm. And to write about him, I went with him on a trip, uh, which for him was sort of like, Mowing his long, just like you know, a very easy thing. <laughs> where we skied the last hundred kilometers to the North Pole it was a group of five of us. It's actually fascinating. You you fly uh, way north, uh, and then you you fly and land on the ice uh, in these Russian uh, short takeoff and landing jets. Um, and every uh, year, uh, the French. Uh, establish this research station uh, that is about a hundred miles from the North Pole, um, and uh, from there you hella, we helicoptered in uh, and skied the last hundred kilometers. It took us about seven days. Um, wow! It was great. It, it was we did it um, in uh, April, which is kind of a sweet spot where. It is about as warm as it gets, and the ice is still solid. Uh, Uh So uh, it was consistently minus 40. And minus 40 is where centigrade meets Fahrenheit, which I think is kind of (laughs) cool. And it's light all the time. the sun just goes around in a little circle overhead, uh, which is sort of strange, Um, but beats me in darkness. Beats being dark all the time, Um, and uh, it was it was a a great experience. Uh, Then we got to the North Pole. It's weird though, you know. You go to the North Pole as opposed to the South Pole. The North Pole is just a GPS marking. It looks exactly like where you started. Uh, (laughs) As far as as far as I know, we could have just been skiing around in a circle and then you like rig the GPS and go, okay, we're at the North Pole. Um, And You go to sleep on the North Pole, and you wake up, and you're not on the North Pole because you're just on ice, and the ice floats um, and moves. And every night, this was a big thing. Like, when you go to sleep, you hope that when you drift that night that you drift closer, not further away, so you don't have to re-ski, you know, three or four (laughs) miles that that you lost at night. Uh, It's very weird. Now, if you go to the South Pole, you can actually stand where Shackleford shackleton stewart uh-huh. and um I, I haven't been to the south pole i'd love to go to the south pole um but um it was it, it was fascinating i, was, I really really mm-hmm. uh enjoyed it
3: well let's jump right quick from one of the best experiences of your life to uh a lower point in politics uh I saw you on television myself, and boy, I was cheering you on. You were one of the most prominent Republicans to oppose Trump early. Um, And even now, you have described yourself as, I believe, homeless in your own party. In light of the inescapable fact, though, that Trump is president, how should the Republican Party now seek to move forward?
0: Well, I think the party has to ask itself what it stands for. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I I was drawn to a party that actually believed the character counts, that uh, personal responsibility was important, um, strong on Russia, um, mm-hmm. that uh, pro-immigration, legal immigration, but welcoming in that sense. I mean, Texas Republican Party gets – I mean, even Ted Cruz gets 40 percent of Hispanics uh, for that – the way that they've been always very open to to Hispanics. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, that was what we aspired to. Now, I mean – those of us who work for Bush and others, I mean, we weren't perfect, and we had a lot of bad days, and we probably played more to the dark side sometimes than we should have, but at least we aspired to that, and it was what motivated us, and I just don't see how that is consistent with much of what Donald Trump is about. Um mm-hmm so to me it's it's sort of a simple question like did we really believe all this stuff that we said or was it just sort of marketing and mm-hmm. if that marketing wasn't working at the moment you would just change to other marketing mm-hmm. uh, and I, I just never saw it that way maybe I was a sucker I actually you know believed this and I always believed that it was better to fight for what you believed in and lose than to win in something you didn't believe in.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, you know, some of my closest friends are people I've opposed uh, in the in the Democratic Party, because they really... I don't care that we, we didn't agree, but I really respected them for what they believed, mm-hmm. and they believed in, in their guy or woman, and I believed in mine, and fine, okay. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you win, sometimes you lose. Um, mm-hmm. but you could articulate what you were for, and it was about something more than just winning. Mm-hmm. And I I just don't get it. Um, and, I mean, to me, it, it came to a head with, with Roy Moore in Alabama. Um, I, the Republican Party should not support Roy Moore. I don't care if he gets the nomination. The Republican Party shouldn't any more mm-hmm. than... You know, if you look when David Duke got the nomination uh, for governor in Louisiana, President Bush then, um, 41, um, directed the Republican Party in Florida, I mean, in in Louisiana, to oppose him. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was smart enough not to do it heavy-handed from Washington, but got a former Republican governor, David Treen, to lead the effort to oppose the Republican nominee, David Duke. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a model for how you should handle that. So it meant that, that Buddy Romer, a, a Democrat, won. But better that, better to lose that fight than to lose your soul. And mm-hmm. I, I'm i very glad Roy Moore yeah. won, lost. But if I find it incredibly troubling that 67% or so of white voters in Alabama voted for Roy Moore. Who, if, if he's not, he's just a horrible person.
3: I uh-huh. mean, forget if he's for this so. or that issue.
0: He's just a horrible human being.
3: Yeah, do you think a Senator Romney will articulate some of those things at a national level against what well, you're saying to us tonight?
0: Well, I think I think Mitt embodies those things. Um, mm-hmm. And that, in many ways, I think it's important in leadership to show rather than to, to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way, I mean, you may disagree with Mitt Romney on every bit of policy in the same way you might disagree with president Obama, but I don't think there's any way you can look at their lives and the way they conduct themselves and the way they treat others and not feel that they do it the right way. They treat others with mm-hmm. respect and they allow for disagreement. Um, sometimes things get heated, but you still have a dignity of disagreement which I think mm-hmm. is a core element to any democracy. I mean, mm-hmm. the essential element of democracy is that somebody's got to be willing to lose. Mm-hmm. And when I've worked abroad in places like Africa, there's always sort of a question like, well, what happens like, if we win? Will the other side accept <laughs> it? And, <laughs> you know, these sort of base questions. Um, I don't think that Mitt Romney is running... For senator, because Donald Trump is president,
1: uh-huh. I think he'd
0: be running if Hillary Clinton were president. Uh, uh-huh. I think he's running because he wants to serve, and he really feels he has something to contribute. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's really is sort of a public service gene that he has. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think he's going to Washington in any way to be the leader of forces against Donald Trump. And, and, and you know, a lot of issues, he agrees with positions that Donald Trump is taking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, the speech that he gave in the spring of 2016 was very powerful and very courageous. Uh-huh. There's absolutely nothing uh-huh. in it for him, um, and he'll, you know, he'll he'll work with Donald Trump when they agree on things, and when they don't, you know, he'll call them like he sees them. Um, you know, as governor of Massachusetts, is, you know, if you can't work with people you don't necessarily agree with, you're not going to get anything done if you're a Republican right. because right. they're all Democrats. Right. So um, I think it's it's positive for sort of the body politic for someone of Mitt Romney's character to be involved. Um, I felt the same right. way about Doug, Doug Jones and all that. Right. I mean, he seemed right. to just be an outstanding person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that matters so much.
3: And then, and with that, I, in the interest of time, I'm going to send it back to David to close the segment out. Thank you for being on with us tonight. No, it's great to
0: talk to you guys. Really Thank appreciate it. Thank you so it. much. Uh,
1: Stuart, Stuart Stevens, um, thanks for being on the show. Um, I did want to give you a chance before you go. Where could people see you or read you or um, see what you're thinking at the current time?
0: Oh, listen, you know, the best thing to do is read my books. Um, you know, I'm a great supporter of local bookstores like Lemuria and Square Books. And um, that that really I, – I write a columns, uh, off and on for the Daily Beast, um, but but not that often these days. Um, and I, I'm working on uh, a new book um, that I, I can't really talk about yet. But um, really I would uh, just, just try to – if you're so moved to dig into, I've got seven books out now, dig into those books.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. If you're willing to come back on in the future, I looked on the Overdrive app, and The Innocent Have Nothing to Fear, it was a, a fictional book you wrote back around 2001. I'll listen to that before you come back on, and we can talk about that book. As more,
0: that good, sounds more great, buddy. Look, look forward to yeah. it. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks again.
2: Thank you. I'll, I'll Thank you, sir.
0: Take care. Bye. Bye. Right, that was
1: Stuart Stevens. Um, you know, his books, I think he said seven of them, going to be eight soon. Uh, I think he contributes on a lot of different cable news channels as well. Uh, you know, probably not a regular schedule, but, but catch him because he's very informative when we talk more politics. We got two tonight. Um, guys, I, I hope that was a good show for you. We had a great guest and one uh, kind of. Topic with a lot of branches before that, but uh, this Easter show has um, wound down, and so until next week, that's the Kudzu Vine. Good night, Good night, night guys. Good night, everybody.
0: We are the heirs of that
1: first revolution with well, a strong and united.